Welcome to Unprecedented, a podcast that takes an in-depth look at American presidents. I'm Joseph, and I'm oh, as always joined by my friend Neil. How are you Hello, doing, Neil? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to talk about our first president. Well, not our first president, but you know, our first episode of a president. This yeah, but why? Why start with the first one, right? It wouldn't. It would be too logical to start with, you know, the first president on our first episode you know we're gonna right it's gonna we're gonna right. buck the trend right off the start and just start with number yeah. two a little obnoxious choice yeah not the first person but the second one i yeah but this one you know i don't think a lot of people really know a lot about john adams and so i think that he's a he's a good one to start with our first one term president and so yeah i just want to kind of get straight to it you said you know what can you tell me about president john um i know that paul Giamatti played him um i know that a distant cousin made the beer that i'm drinking right now which is pretty good and i know that he's the second president that's you know i mean founding fathers right he was within he was in that group as well right yes um he was hanging out around with them uh he probably brought the tea and all that fun stuff um but yeah that's pretty much it's pretty much all i know about it Uh, but before Neil starts with the exploration of uh, John's, John Adams' presidency and educates me on how wrong I am, I wanted to set the stage for our audience with giving them a few highlights of the year our subject matter became president. Um, the year was uh, 1796. Last troops of Britain uh, withdrew from the U.S. Uh, Tennessee became the 16th state of the United States. First independence celebration was held. Smallpox vaccination was invented and administered in England. And George Washington gave his farewell address and sets the precedent of not running for a third term. And now that we have a little bit of a base of the world in where John Adams was elected our second president, Neil, how about you guide me through this president you know i kind of want to set a bit of a foundation of you know trying to you know explore or trying to kind of get an overlook of how we're going to explore john adams you know he's again our second president of the united states but i would say one of our most overlooked founding fathers you know someone who had a significant role in the writing and the passage of the declaration of independence he so not, as a, not just he, he not just he nope okay. that actually you know he was kind of on Like Sam Adams, you can think more of as like the tea guy, you know. Like he, <laughs> he, he was, was into a, he's very into beverages. Then that's why he 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 yes, ended up with a beer. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a little bit of a better description for you know as as far as like you the counter or like the revolutionary early like protests of the British. I would say that John Adams shouldn't be linked as much to that. It's more of again his cousin Sam Adams and other players in that era but he still has a significant part you know and during the revolutionary war he's there he serves as an ambassador to several european countries um and later as a vice president uh, as a first vice president of the united states for both of george washington's terms so mm. obviously being vice president you know there's or obviously being elected to being vice president there you know he had to have set like some sort of you know established brand for himself right And so we're going to kind of like go through a timeline here of, of how he did that. You know, he's he's born in Braintree, Massachusetts, small town just outside of Boston in 1735. 
um, sort of into like a modest family, not really, you know, like a low class, but, you know, sort of a, a well, he gets a, a good education and goes to Harvard College eventually, um, what's known as Harvard College at the time, but Harvard University today, um, and lives in Boston during the height of pre-revolution violence. And, you know, how you were saying with the T with, with Sam Adams um, being dropped in, he actually defends the British in a lot of well, at least in a very prominent um, event early in the revolution. Um, he's a prominent so he, lawyer. He was pro-Britain pro in the beginning? Before I want to say pro-Britain. He was pro-following like the laws of the land, right? He's very, um, I guess, like... law and order. Yes, yes, kind of. I mean, that's <laughs> that, that's a weird term for today, right? I think that yeah. he, he really wanted a nation that was, uh, you know, just very hard on like having citizens following the rules correct okay yeah fair enough so uh can i stop you real quick yes because you said something interesting that he was born in 1735 Mm -hmm. and he became president in 1796 making him 60 plus years old um in the beginning was was the rule already established of your age or was that something that came later like having to be certain age before actually running for president Ah, that that is a good question. I think in in the Constitution, um, passed in 1789, you have to be 35 years old to be president. So, George, yeah, George Washington dies in about, I think he's in his, he might be in his late 50s, early 60s going into his presidency. So it's it's not, you know, an age that's like very uh, polarizing at the time to become president. So picking up from that, you know, he... It controversially decides to be the defense attorney for the British officers that are part of the Boston Massacre, um, actually is, uh, wins the, the suit or, you know, wins the famous court case against the British soldiers who fired into the crowd of part of the Boston Massacre because they were harassed by this mob. He's able to prove that, you know, they had, um, you know, legitimate means to fire into the crowd. So he doesn't earn a lot of allies early in the revolution, but becomes increasingly frustrated as the years go on in the 1770s with the colonies having no representation in the British Parliament. And that leads him to serve as a delegate for the Massachusetts Continental, or for the state of Massachusetts, or colony, I should say, and the Continental Congress. So that's kind of like the beginning of his political career. He's this very important representative in the Continental Congress, which eventually, you know, declares independence, you know, and forms the Declaration of Independence, which, you know, is kind of his idea though he doesn't end up writing it he kind of assigns that to thomas jefferson who is a very big part of his life story and we'll we'll go into him a little bit more um so during during this time during this time you you've, you've mentioned that the big players are in boston right now would you say that boston was the like the birthplace of america i mean of sort what of. we what we consider I'm, now the political uh, it, it was the birth. It was, I would say it's the birthplace of the revolution, right? I don't say it's the birthplace of of America, right? But you know, sort of all the the action early on is happening in Boston because they have you know the residents. So it was the ignition, have, not necessarily the dynamite. Right, right. I mean, you have you know tons of of counter or tons of revolutionary actions, but most of like the significant portions are happening in Boston during the early 1770s. You know, okay. with the passage of all these taxes. And with like, you know, kind of like the pre-revolutionary violence that leads to the Revolutionary War. So he's kind of in the heat of it all. 
And, you know, as, you know, someone who's kind of in that, in that perspective, in that context, he kind of has a very hard stance about, you know, declaring independence from Great Britain and, and becomes a very prominent voice within that more of a bold figure in his early days than, you know, certainly like later in life. As someone who, you know, is very good and he's a lawyer, a very good speech, very good orator, they's, you know, the, I should say, probably the, the Continental Congress sent him off to Europe um, to be an ambassador to countries like France, Great Britain, and the Netherlands all throughout, you know, the Revolutionary War to, you know, try to spearhead early American alliances and trade partnerships. So he's sort of just like an ambassador and delegate throughout that whole time. But, you know, eventually America or the United States wins the war, right? And he's welcomed back from Europe as a hero. You know, he's nominated, like he's a very prominent figure and nominated for president along with a handful of others in seventeen. So he wasn't, he wasn't in the United States during the entire war. He was correct. In yeah, I mean, for the most part, I think he he takes a brief visit to Braintree, where he's born in like the early 1780s. Um, there's like a six year period where he doesn't even see his wife, Abigail Adams, which is just wild to me, you know, <laughs> thinking yeah. of today. <laughs> um, and yeah, he he's just kind of out trying to you know make the United States name a, a legitimate name in the minds of European um, leaders. And, you know, has significant influence there. Um, so when he comes back, you know, again, he's, he's very well known. He's still, still sort of remembered as this figure that was very um, prominent in, again, like making sure that, you know, independence was declared and that we kind of had like the, I guess, the, the confidence to, to go to war with Britain. And so people so have... He, he essentially erased the memory of him defending Britain through his political career representing America in, in Europe, essentially. Then, yeah, essentially, right. You know, like everyone, that, that kind of gets erased when he becomes a, a delegate of the Continental Congress. His, his attitudes towards Great Britain shifts because, you know, he, grow, he never grows, he never really goes to Great Britain growing up. You know, he just knows that he's in this colony of Massachusetts and they don't really get a say in how they're taxed or, you know, who's in parliament and, you know, kind of like how their laws are shaped. And he's someone who, who wants to shape American law and, and oddly enough kind of gets little chance to do so. I should say that, you know, the constitution, you know, the document that still kind of, you know, runs our nation today, he gets no part in forming that document. He's still overseas when, you know, the Federalist Papers are being written out by, you know, um, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and John Jay, you know, and so he's not really a part of the framing of the Constitution. And so we don't really get a lot of insight into, you know, what his, you know, political philosophy is in that context. And, and I think mm -hmm. that's interesting. Um, and, and so, yeah, he ends up being, you know, in some, it's not really a presidential election in 1789 with George Washington. He's, it's more so everyone knows that George Washington's going to be president and we got to yeah. see who the, who the runner up is to be vice president because back in those days the runner up to the presidency ended up being the vice president which became problematic later and um not did not hold on for long. Um so that the vice presidency was the silver matter like yeah, I didn't know that actually exactly. that's that's uh that's all right something new that I learned today for sure. <laughs> Um, I didn't know that you were forced to, I mean, 
there's there is something to be said there like because you're you're running against somebody and he becomes your right hand man it should create in theory a balance of ideas um if the person you're running against becomes your second in command and could potentially influence your decision making in, in the future yeah i mean no one in really theory, in theory in theory no one expected right like what became of like the political climate today right you know no. this was supposed to be a very harmonious like introduction into like the first administration mm -hmm. you know adams wasn't really f supposed to be someone far from washington and in his cabinet officials you know theoretically everyone should have been a little bit more aligned i would say about you know where they think that the country should be going but that turns out to be you know not the case at all um and and it's it's weird because you know no one really knows what the he becomes vice president right he gets 34 electoral votes to george washington 69 and you know no one really knows like especially him like what the vice presidency you know what what influence he's going to have within the new american government right this um, could be um this could be a curveball and we can you know, you can just tell me, I don't know. But since in the highlights, I said that Tennessee became the 16th state um, within the year that Adams became the president, how many states were there when um, Washington became president? I know, I mean- we can, we can leave this for the Was Washington episode. Like this could yeah. be a teaser for people Let's that don't know how to use Washington Google. Episode. All right, cool. That, I, I, I offhand don't know that, yeah. All I, right. I was wanna say 13, but I could be wrong on that. Um, but you know, one of one of his first acts as vice president is proposing that the president be referred to as terms as maybe like his elective majesty or his mightiness or even his highness. You know, and this is like kind of a you know weird to think about because it's you just got out of the you know the British rule of you know monarch being in a monarchy. And now you are proposing, you know, the president to be called something very similar to, you know, what a king would be called. You know, that that very much annoys President Washington. And, you know, it kind of provides an insight on, on the lax attitude that he may have had toward the Republican develop or towards like, you know, our nation developing its institutions anti-democratically. This is kind of, you know, the beginnings of what you see is Adams not really being super democratic in terms of his political thought i would say so his um his british love reared its ugly head well we don't really know if he has a british love yet he he is a, a minister to to great britain he's a, he's a diplomat to great britain i mean britain. but it, i wouldn't call it a love per se but he's essentially trying to model his the new world in accordance to england that he defended in the beginning I would say he's more so, I think that he thinks the presidency, if, if, if leaders in, in Europe are able to see that the presidency is like a legitimate position, right? I think it establishes more legitimacy than like Mr. President. You know, if you call one person in the government this, you know, mighty kind of term, right? It, it sort of like holds more um, of a weight. Mm. Exactly. So I think that's his, his idea with proposing those things. However, you know, it, it doesn't earn him any good rapport with Washington and the cabinet early on. He just keeps he just keeps losing favor to those peers, huh? Yes. Yes. That's kind of a big theme of John Adams. in general. <laughs> um, 
you know, Washington often leaves Adams out of his cabinet meetings as vice president, um, oh, no. isolating him. He, you know, the, Adams is the president of the Senate. The vice president is the president of the Senate, um, but he only has influence there in votes that result in a tie, you know, which is pretty rare. So most of the time he's just, you know, like the head guy in front of the Senate who really has no influence at all. And Adam, Adams recognizes this very quickly. And, you know, I think a, a famous quote of him is a, of his views of the vice presidency is, you know, my country has in its wisdom contrived me for the most insignificant office that ever oh. the invention of man contrived uh, or his imagination conceived. So, so That's right off the bat, it was <laughs> vice presidency was viewed as like well, I mean, I think that a lot of vice presidents probably view it that way, right? But you know, <laughs> it's still a significant position in just you know the symbolic terms of it. So you know, he you know goes through the administration and eventually you know wins more favor with Washington, and in 1796 runs against his longtime friend Thomas Jefferson. And it's the first contested American election um, in American history. Um, and he endures many attacks as well on his backing of policies from, um, you know, a somewhat popular Alexander Hamilton at the time, but he becomes more unpopular as time goes on. Um, and there's that could a be, lot of... That could be a good side episode, Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, teasing uh, a side episode. Hamilton is, you know one of the most like influential factors and in- if we if we do a side episode uh, because we're planning on doing uh side episodes on certain subject matters that don't revolve around presidents but are deeply tied to the political system mm-hmm. um if we do uh, alexander hamilton will you wrap the entire episode i, I no i can't no, I, okay. just, I mean enough. i wouldn't I would love to think that I could do something like that, but I just, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll leave that. You know just, your limitations. <laughs> right. We have a whole like musical for that. There's no reason <laughs> why I would need to, you know, do that injustice. So, um, yeah. And so he, you know, kind of, he's a, it, it's interesting, you know, Adams is sort of a pragmatist in this day, you know, like he, what is like the main issue in the 1790s in general with the U.S. is that, you know, they're, su- they're in such an early stage of their nation. And yet, you know, all of Europe is sort of going to war over France having a, a revolution, you know, uh, the threat of France having its own, you know, independent revolution um, is causing, you know, other European nations to panic because they don't want the same thing to happen in their countries. And so the U.S. has to take a position here because, you know, they have an alliance with France. France helped them during the Revolutionary War, but they can't afford to really get into a war, you know, so early into the foundation of their country. They don't really have the yeah. army to do so. Um, they don't want, you know, things to, you know, their economy to fall into disarray so quickly. And so they take a position of neutrality in which, you know, that is sort of like the divide that happens and splits our our government into its own political parties. You have, you know, the Democratic Republicans, which are, you know, headed by James Madison and Thomas Jefferson, who are very pro-France. And then you have the Federalists. And that's, you know, Alexander Hamilton and, you know, um, George Washington, because Hamilton has such a significant influence on him. And Adams falls in the Federalist camp, although, you know, he isn't really, you know, deemed a big pro 
Great Britain guy more so in that he just wants to make sure the nation doesn't fall apart in its early years. So he thinks neutrality is kind of the best way to go about it. So the first parties are Democratic, Republican, Federalists. Federalists, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yep. And so, you know, this is when we get into the presidency, right? He gets elected in a very narrow, like I said, the narrow election, but he wins. And this is sort of, you know, this is this is kind of like how what we should think about presidencies is sort of defined in like three or four big events, right? Like if you think about the presidency of like our, our more current presidents, like you know, George W. Bush, you think of like 9-11, you think of events like, you know, like Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. You think of events like the the stock market crash. He's yeah, like, every you know, every president has like um benchmark, um a highlight reel almost of things that they had to deal with. Every like they say that every president has a catastrophe that they either make or break their presidency. Right, right. And, you know, maybe in, 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 I think it'll get more complicated over time where like, you know, some presidents will think during their time that they like make good decisions during it. And then later mm -hmm. on, history will judge them even harsher. I think that we can say, you know, with this presidency, people didn't like the decisions John Adams made during it. So, but we'll, we'll explore them. We have two main issues that happen um, during John Adams presidency. That's an XYZ affair. <laughs> and the Alien and Sedition Acts. Um, XYZ and aliens? Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, well, they, they kind of tie together pretty, um, you know, kind of like in a, in a little web together. But what, what is needed to understand more about the XYZ affair is we have to, you know, kind of understand what a little bit of what happens during George Washington's presidency because, as he's trying to tie up neutrality kind of within, you know, the wars that are happening with France and Europe, um, with the, pretty much everybody in continental Europe and Great Britain declaring war with France. And that's kind yeah. of going on for a very long period of time. This is how, you know, Napoleon becomes a, a prominent figure is because he gets several famous victories during these wars. Yeah. Um, you have, you know, in 1794, we decide to... Um, make a treaty with Britain. It's called the Jay Treaty. Um, and that sets the stage for us, you know, kind of having a more stable relationship with Great Britain, where we're not going to, you know, be in jeopardy of, of being in war with them. However, this pisses off the French, essentially. <laughs> and so we have the French who became very angry and um, is, considering that they helped us out so much during the Revolutionary War, and its leaders decided to issue an order allowing for the seizure of American merchant ships. Uh, and it's kind of like a carefully timed to be a surprise on us. Um, and so we kind of have our, our trade and our, you know, um, commerce affected by just our merchant ships being captured by France. So President John Adams now, you know, this happens during his presidency in 1790 or in early 1797. Um, Dispatches three U.S. envoys to restore harmony um, between the United States and France. Um, one of them being John Jamar John Marshall, uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, and uh, they end up, you know, going to France. And the, the three delegates they meet with 
are Jean Conrad Honinger, uh, Pierre Bellamy, and Lucien Hadeval. These are X, Y, and Z. It's why it's called the X, Y, Z. Affair. Oh, okay. They, they, their names aren't published in this affair, but they end up, you know, getting famous in the sense that um, they, in order to even start negotiations with France, they pretty much say you have to bribe us in order for you to get peace, right? So they want a hefty amount, like a bunch of money in order to even start peace negotiations. And even though that's kind of like, you know, the standard in Europe at the time, it certainly, you know, doesn't sit well with the delegates there and with President Adams and, you know, really ticks off the whole country because it becomes pretty wide ranging, wide ranging knowledge, you know, within American newspapers at the time. So, so how, all right, so I understand that Adams and intelligently um, does not want to go to war, especially since they just built their country, they just finished the wars against Britain, they're probably economically and in terms of manpower reeling, mm -hmm. but if France is literally taking on the entire world, <laughs> why is America like afraid of fighting a war where they pretty much are they have the entire world as their allies right now. Well, that's, I mean, it would be more controversial, I think, for them to be on the side of Great Britain than on the side of France, you know. Oh, like okay. They, you know, like, I think Jefferson, I mean, Jefferson essentially resigned from his uh, post of Secretary of State because of how, you know, much we didn't do to help France for the revolutionary efforts. You know, Jefferson kind of sees France and the U.S. as one of the same because they're going through the same process he feels that we went through in the 1770s and we should maybe, establish support. Maybe I missed the step here. Uh, who is his vice president, John Adams? If John Thomas Adams, his vice president is the runner up and that's Thomas Jefferson. I know, but you just said that he's resigned his secretary of state. Position. Well, that's that's during that's during George Washington's presidency. Oh, okay, we're jumping. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, we're, so we're... he pretty much resigned from Secretary of State to run for president. He loses. Oh, okay, okay. But him he losing does. doesn't get him out of the administration. He just ends up being the vice president. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, and so this causes, and this is kind of like the height of like no one blames Adams for the French not you know wanting to negotiate and wanting to you know sort of have us pay them in order to really see seek peace with them right you know it it sort of leads to a bunch of fervor in you know the united states about you know we could be going to war with france really soon and we somewhat do you know there's a quasi or i should say quasi or quasi war um from 1798 to 1800 um, in which, you know, we have, you know, a couple of skirmishes with, or not, I shouldn't say a couple, you know, skirmishes with France um, all throughout, you know, um, you know, the Caribbean. Um, and Puerto Rico, right? I feel like there was, maybe Puerto Rico was part of one of the, like, sites of wars, but I could be wrong. Maybe it was Dominican, but I, I, I vaguely remember uh, them using one of the islands as a battlefield. Right. Uh, for their for their work. I, I I'm not sure on that. I didn't. I, I don't really know. You know all the really like much about what you know the battles of the quasi war. It just wasn't yeah. a full out war, and that's what Adams was trying to really avoid. Like any kind of army kind of battles happening, you know, that would have been a little bit more devastating in his mind. We we had you know more of a built navy at that point. Mm. Um, but 
you know, it, it still, you know, sparks a lot of like, you know, I would say, I mean, patriotism in the sense that like, you know, you know, we're not going to let, you know, the French, you know, bully us in that sense. Mm-hmm. And we're ready to go to war. Um, and so that, that, that sort of helped him, you know, in, in terms of, you know, getting support for, you know, being in preparation for war with France. All right. So, you know, the XYZ affair is not really a, a catastrophic event for Adams, but it leads to a catastrophic event, which is the Alien and Sedition Acts, which are a bit unexplained. I mean, they, they're a little bit explainable, but I just don't understand. You know, it's a very bad miscalculation on Adams' part. All right. So these are laws kind of targeted at making sure no one, you know, speaks in a way that's, you know, contra or like that's criticizing the U.S. government. And that's, you know, a pro-France sort of way, right? So it's going against against the freedom of speech, essentially. Yes, yes. And, you know, that kind of spurs Jefferson's whole campaign in 1800 because of Mm. the passages, right? So one of the one of the laws is the Naturalization Act, which Congress increased residency requirements for U.S. citizenship from fourteen year to fourteen years from five years, which is you know pretty random. You know, you have five years to be a citizen, and now you have to be a resident for fourteen years. It's a pretty big Steep. jump. Yes. Um, you also have the Alien Enemies Act, which permitted the government to arrest and deport all male citizens of an enemy nation in the event of war. Um, and, so, and then you also have the Alien Friends Act, which allowed the president to deport any non-citizen suspected of plotting against the government, even in peacetime. Um, and so, were they were they executive orders or were they run through? No, the these were these were acts passed by Congress. It's a law, like it passed by Congress and signed by the president. And so, there's no way, you know, like executive order probably would make them look worse, to be honest. But I don't think that those are very well established at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the government, I should say at this time is mostly in the camp of Adams. They're all pretty much federalists. Well, I shouldn't say all, but very dominated by majorities of federalists at the time. Um, and then the most controversial of the new laws, um, is the Sedition Act. And and that says, you know, this act prohibited public opposition to the government. Uh, you could face, you know, imprisonment, fines for anybody who would, you know, pretty much write print or say something that's, you know, of scandalous or malicious writing against the government. So it's, yeah. It, that, so again, the monarchy, the monarchy love yes. that Adam has is rearing his head again. That comes up very uh, prominently in this act. And it, it, it's very, you know, confusing considering, you know, we had these Bill of Rights written, you know, just nine years ago. Yeah. And, you know, anyone, I mean, what, what can you even say? Like, it, it can be like an opinion against the government. It's not really like, it, it, I mean, the, the law sort of is written like if it can be proven false of what you're saying the government is false, but that's not really the case, right? It's, it's more so, you know, what the government determines to be false of what you're saying. So kind of the free press is really um, under, you know, kind of like just undercut in these laws. And, you know, people actually do have to go to jail for this. You know, there's 20 Democrat Republican newspaper editors arrested. Um, I get a lot of them imprisoned. Um, and it's super, super unpopular. <laughs> and so that that sort of is the demise of John Adams, in a sense. Um, and, and I should say, you know, Alexander Hamilton is very prominent in this. He is pretty much the leader of the Federalists at this point. 
George Washington dies, I believe, in 1797. Um, so he's a bit out of the picture. But his right-hand man, Alexander Hamilton, is, you know, trying to plot, you know, who should be the next president of the Federalists. Because he doesn't see Adam, he isn't able to influence Adams' administration like he is Washington's administration. And so if you think about it in today's context, if you have like sort of, uh, you know, if you think of like a far right and far left, you know, whatever you want to put Hamilton on the spectrum, he's on the far side of it, right? And Adams is trying to be this, you know, you know moderate, moderate figure in it and not really mm. trying to hear out of Hamilton's influence. But Hamilton still has a lot of influence on in the populace. And so he tries to get uh, Charles Pinckney, which is, you know, another, you know, kind of, not as well-known politician at the time to be elected over John Adams and in convincing, you know, electoral delegates who make decisions about, you know, who the, um, their state for the electoral college is going to vote for. Um, he writes the kind of like a scathing review of Adams to them, which ends up going public to the whole nation. And that oh. does not help Adams's, you know, uh, wait. So if, if did that person go, you know, to prison because he essentially talked against the government. Which which person? The one that wrote the skating review of that's, that's yeah, Hamilton. Hamilton doesn't have a, a, a great I mean his his career essentially in politics ends after after that review is published because oh he's kind of undercutting his own party in the sense, you know, like he doesn't I mean, I don't think anybody in the party wants the Democrat Republicans to take control, but you know, if you're gonna, you know, tr essentially trash like the the current president that's in your party you know you're not really helping the effort to maintain power right so so within the presidency of adams we saw the demise either by natural causes of washington or by political gains between adams and uh, hamilton of the pillars of that party right essentially after it, it, I mean, I, it, it's pretty easy to say we saw the demise of really the Federalist Party yeah. <laughs> with this election. It's pretty quick. You know, it's very short-lived. Um, you don't see, I mean, Democrat Republicans hold every single, I think until Andrew Jackson was elected, and I might be wrong in that, um, which is in like 1829. Um, you don't see a, a member from another party elected besides Democrat Republicans for president. Wow. Um, so yeah, it, it's very significant. Jefferson defeats Adams 73 to 65 in electoral college and 61% to 38% of the popular vote. Um, again, benefiting from the outrage. And, and I should say there are, there are new taxes that Adams also puts together that anger residents as well, because mm. he's trying to prepare for a war with France. You don't really know what's going to happen and what taxes you need. So he has a new land tax during his presidency as well that, that really picks people off. So yeah, people tend to not like taxes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask you, do you think that his presidency has favored from, you know, history looking back at it? Or has it painted an even worse picture than his peers had of him during his presidency? I think it's hard because you, I mean, people often, when they view his presidency, it's hard to separate, you know, the founder aspect of, of Adams, right? You know, his presidency in general is, is is sort of, you know, he's trying to just manage a crisis, right? Sort of throughout it. He doesn't know if the nation's going to go to war or not. He, he doesn't know, you know, what side to choose if the nation is going to go to war. And he's trying to manage all of that. 
But I, I think, you know, with just a blatant attack on the U.S. Constitution and the Alien Sedition Acts, he's not very, I mean, like over time, you know, it, it's hard, you know, David McCullough got a very, he wrote a very famous biography of, and he writes biographies of, you know, a lot of presidents. Um, but in 2001, he, you know, he won awards for his biography of John Adams, right? And then that's what led into the Paul Giamatti, like 2008, like uh, HBO series of John Adams, right? But he's not, you know, like I, I can never, it, it's hard to say, you know, it, you can just see in history class, like people kind of braze over John Adams' presidency, you know? I was going to say, you know, like most people know, or a lot more people would know that Thomas Jefferson is the third president as compared to John Adams being the second president and would know a lot more about Thomas Jefferson himself because, you know, he's just able to have such a, a, you know, a prominent role in the passage of one of our founding documents, which is the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. But I mean, it really, I mean, the story of, 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 you know, John Adams is, is a bit of a tragedy in that sense, in that, you know, he's one of the few founders he's able to become president, yet he has such an insignificant presidency compared to all other founders. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, and, and it's really just off of like a, a bad judgment that you would think he would know better. And, and so like him being a pragmatic president, I think led to that mistake, right? You know, I think at the time he felt a lot of pressure to make sure that there wasn't an insurrection on the country. He didn't want the Democratic Republican Party to take over or like, you know, stage some sort of coup against the American government for being pro-France when tensions were so high at the time. He just took it, you know, super, super far. And against, you know, sort of this document that, you know, we all thought that we were aligned around, which is the U.S. Constitution. And so he paid pretty quickly in being, again, the first one-term president and the only one-term president of the first five. I mean, to be fair, you know, I don't think John Adams needs me to defend him, but uh, given the structure of the American political system, a lot of people had to say yes to the things that they established that are now looked back on saying like, hey, you were going against the constitution, all this crap that you're putting out there, it's very un-American and essentially was his demise, like you're saying, but a lot of people had to vote on it and then he signed off on it. So it's not all on him. There was clearly a consensus around the things that they were setting up uh, luckily for, you know, for our freedom of speech, things uh, didn't turn out to be that way. Uh, but yeah, um, it is easy to hang all the fault on him. And he should have been more aware of what he was doing. That's what I've always found interesting. And probably that's why I'm, I'm going to enjoy doing this podcast for how long we do it. Is that it's crazy how we've always placed the blame on the president because you know essentially that's where the buck stop but it, it was his political allies that shepherd those um acts that essentially destroyed his his presidency yeah it's i mean it, it it's complicated it's kind of i mean to go more in depth you know to try to see you know what he's writing at the time would probably be a, a, an interesting look but just looking on the surface of things 
I mean, I mean, like we haven't really explored the character of John Adams, right? You know, this is someone who is not really like a, I don't know, like if you think of the first and third presidents, these guys are are more so like, uh, like, like kind of like a physically more like well um, imposing politician. Yeah, he's five seven. You know, he's not. Uh, hey, short kings. I'm a short. I'm a, I'm a majority over here. I'm trying to. I'm a five eight giant. Okay. But he's following in the footsteps of, of a general George Washington, who is I think our fourth tallest president in history, which is a, a weird fun fact to throw out. Um, but he's giving a lot of spoilers for the uh, Washington episode. That, yeah, that we'll, could have we'll been we'll a banger of a a banger of an opener. <laughs> Welcome to the fourth uh, tallest president episode. Yeah, it might be a while before we do a Washington episode, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's one down the line. But yeah, you know, he he is, you know, described as someone who isn't doesn't do well at, at handling criticism of himself, you know. And, you know, Jefferson more so is described as someone who is. And, you know, he does get criticized a lot during his presidency. Doesn't really ever do any of these, you know, sedition acts that are similar to Adams. And I think that's kind of what separates the two in terms of like evaluations of their presidency. You know, there, there's a lot of noble things you can still say about Adams. He's the first of the first five presidents who doesn't own slaves. I mean, but at the same time, he doesn't actually like, you know, make a big case to, you know, not have slavery instituted in the country. So not like a big, you know, leap there, but, you know, still, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, he wasn't comfortable with being a part of in his own personal life as much yeah that's actually a great point i didn't know that about him and that's that shows his worldviews and his character in the face of i want to say a market an economy that was mm. built around slavery yet he yeah. stro- he rose to the top without needing to rely on free labor yeah. so you know props to him in that sense i guess yeah and and you know he's also I mean he 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 raises John Quincy Adams who is the first <laughs> they're the first father son tandem to be president although there there is and, and again it's probably we won't have a John Quincy Adams episode probably for a while but I will say he does pass on some anti democratic values to his son <laughs> um, and and I'd be happy to explain even further because I didn't even know this was a thing, right? Until we started getting really uh, like um, advanced with what the electoral college was in 2020. Um, but he, John Quincy Adams, is the only president to ever be elected with not winning the electoral vote nor the popular vote. Right. How is that even possible? <laughs> well, we'll find out on the John Quincy episode, I guess. Um, Very but I think uh, we reached the lo- uh, end of the line with our our first episode and our second ep- uh, president. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I certainly did. Uh, follow us on all the social medias. Uh, we're on Instagram. Uh, we're going to be posting some fun pictures of our presidents along with some fun facts. Uh, follow us on Twitter and tell us about you know your favorite president, what you thought about the episodes, what president are you most looking forward to and follow us on our socials uh, you can probably find us pretty easily uh neil what are we gonna talk about on the next episode next episode uh, we're gonna jump to william howard taft um weird jump but 
That's, very, a, that's uh, a big leap. <laughs> very fun. But I, but I, that, I think, I think it's going to be interesting jumping back and forth. I feel like it would have been boring to go linear, and I like it that we're, you know, picking and choosing what uh, precedents we want to talk about. Yes. Yeah. This is, um, you know, for personal reasons, one of my my favorite. I think it was, you know, a good one to to kind of, you know, one of the first ones to set, set the stage for. So he has an interesting story. And yeah, I'm excited to to get into that episode. But yeah, feel free to to fact check us as well. You know, this isn't you know a hundred percent like I, I know that we're not historians here. So yeah, yeah if Thank if you. we miss something that you really think like no, John Adams really did this, positive <laughs> or negative, please leave it in the comments. Write a review. Tell us what we missed, and uh, we'll make sure to do a fact check. On the next episode if we do have something to, to amend from what we said but thank you for tuning in and uh, we will see you in two weeks have a good one mm-hmm.